So good morning, everybody. Boy, this is hot. There we go. Thank you, Alan. Good morning. Bear with me this morning. <laughs> um, so I'm Mark Evans, as, as Brian said. Uh, I'm on, on session here. I'm uh, about halfway through my second, uh, second go-round of this, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy to, to serve with uh, you all and, and be part of this. And uh, as, as Brian said, Drew asked me to uh, bring this message this week, so we're going to talk about multiplying. So first of all, you all look, there's probably a little pad of paper in front of you. You can get, get a piece of paper and a pencil out. We're going to start by uh, working on three-digit multiplication uh, and see how that goes. It might be simpler than what we're going to talk about. Um, just kidding. So, um, I, you know, I think this, this idea of the brave church multiplying uh, is just really, it's incredibly important to us. Uh, I'm really sort of excited about this as I've been thinking about it and dealing with it for, uh, for some time for, as for some other reasons. Um, and I know I've had my ideas really strongly sort of renewed and reshaped and all through some recent experiences and also just as we study it and as we look at the whole idea of multiply as being sort of a key idea uh, here at College Hill as we're going to be uh, continuing through these M's. The multiply is certainly an important one. Uh, I'd also say at the beginning of this, uh, you know, this is really hard stuff for me personally. And so I feel like really, um, you know, it's one of these situations where many of you have experienced it, I expect, when you go to teach about something or talk about it, boy, God just really shows you all your inadequacies and all the places that you personally struggle and, uh, and, and fail, and fail all the time. So, uh, so recognize that I come here talking about this, not having very many answers uh, but uh, um, hopefully we'll, we'll talk about how we can all be growing in this. And, uh, and, and by his grace, we're here and, and seeking to, to follow him in it. So uh, as we get started here, let's just take a, take a second and, and, and pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we just uh, thank you that you have made us part of your plan. We uh, thank you that you engage us with your kingdom and, um, and that we're part of that. And uh, we just want to be part of your way and your plan for the, for the kingdom. Pray that you just really show us what that looks like. Show us how we're to be uh, instrumental in it and a really critical part of it. And just use this time this morning for us to understand that better, Lord. And we just uh, pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as we get started here this morning, let's look at this uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to use for today. So this is uh, Luke 10. Um, so we'll just read through it. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. 
Wherever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, let's see. Lord, we just thank you for that, for those words. Um, so, you know, in the, in the very earliest days of the church, we see this pattern. And, you know, here Jesus, very early in the ministry, is sending out, in this case, 70 folks uh, to the towns and the areas where he's going to be going. Uh, and, you know, we see other examples of this in Scripture. We see where he's done this with the disciples uh, and, and so forth. Um, and, and he's there are two really important elements here I want to uh, make sure we, we capture and we bring out. One is... He's telling them about the kingdom of God being at hand. You know, that was not the way they were thinking about things. You know, he, and he's not talking about simply the afterlife or heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of God there in that place and, and inviting people into it. And, and moreover, you know, he is looking, talking about multiplication already. So if you remember in that, in that verse, he's talking about... In, in the second verse, that he wants the Lord to send out workers. So he's sending these folks out, but he's telling them to look for workers to be sent out. So he's anticipating, Jesus is anticipating that they're going to be going out to these towns, finding people that will welcome them, that are being willing to and, uh, and listen to, to the story that Jesus is going to be bringing, but they're going to be sending out others from the people that they meet. And so Already, you know, you can see this pattern for multiplication that's just inherent in the ministry that Jesus, uh, uh, you know, performed. Uh, you know, the whole history of the church is about multiplication. And last week, uh, um, Drew and Dennis talked about Pentecost. And, you know, we heard the amazing story of the Holy Spirit coming and, uh, and thousands of people um, believing in Jesus and, and the church growing. And we see, you know, if we look further on into Acts, in Acts, uh, Acts 2 later on, this famous verse where, you know, uh, it talks about, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And, and of course, this was in, this, in spite of great resistance. So, you know, from the temple authorities uh, and from the Romans and so forth, you know, we know that there was persecution and, and lots of resistance. Uh, but in spite of that, the church church grew. And in fact, you know, I was going back and looking at this pattern and thinking about this and so forth, and, and it looks like if, if you go back and read what scholars have, have sort of been able to piece together, from that time of Pentecost, around 30 A.D., to 300 A.D., uh, I think it was 313, when Constantine stopped the persecution of Christians, the church grew from those few thousand around Pentecost to probably 20 to 30 million people. So over about a 300-year span, that is an incredible growth rate. It look, it's something like a 40% compounded per decade growth rate. And, and that's not the kind of thing that just happens by large groups hearing a message. It only happens by this pattern of multiplication uh, you know, that we see from the very earliest days of, of Jesus' ministry. Okay. So, you know, I think it's insightful and interesting and so forth to talk about early church growth and, and the growth of the church as an institution and stuff. Um, but when it comes to the real heart of the matter, I think it means we've got to look at where we are today and what's it imply for us uh, as individuals. Um, so what that, I think that calls the question of what's missing today. I mean, certainly this pattern that we saw in the growth of the early church 
didn't sustain. And certainly today, it, there are places in the world where we do see that kind of growth. But if you look in our own culture, uh, particularly in the U.S. and, and in uh, Europe and so forth, we don't see this pattern of multiplication and the pattern of, of growth that we saw in the early church. So, um, so what's going on with that? What do you think is really behind it? What's missing and, and so forth? Um, I know my thinking on this has really been shaped by a, a book I read not too long ago and uh, has been impactful in my life and in the lives of some other people. It's a book called uh, Not a Fan, Becoming a Completely Committed Follower of Jesus. Uh, this pastor, Ken Eidelman, uh, compares our practices as Christians with some of the stuff that goes on in the sports world. And he talks about sports fans and uh, passionate fans even. Um, and this sort of rang true for me. I, our youngest uh, son, our son David, has uh, just finished his freshman year at Clemson. And so Clemson is a place, a university, where there's a tremendous football tradition. And, you know, I thought I knew about football from going to a Big Ten school and stuff. But let me tell you, I am convinced those people, like, really do bleed orange. Uh, you know, you go down there on a Saturday morning before a game, and, like, the whole campus is covered with people. Every square inch, it seems like folks are, have spreads of food, and they're just welcoming everybody. There's this just wonderful atmosphere, and, and it's just electric as the, as the time for the game approaches. And, and, you know, they have this big tradition of the fan, the players running down on the field and the you know this stadium practically goes up to the sky and every you know part of it is blanketed with orange except for this tiny little corner over here where the visitors are you know in a different color like light blue or something uh that's a crack about duke and too um anyway um you know it, it's just an electric atmosphere and so forth uh you know but we can't confuse the notion of what the fans are doing with the players on the field. You know, the fans don't make any great catches for touchdowns. They don't dive over the goal line. They don't stop, uh, you know, a, a touchdown. The fans don't get that bruised and don't get cuts and broken bones and concussions. Well, at least usually they don't. But, you know, they're not in the game. And in fact, it's, it's funny, at Clemson, the, the motto is all in, you know, and so the fans are all, really? How can fans be all in? They're not on the field. They're not really participating in what's going on. Sure, they're moral support, but, you know, I think it sort of diminishing, diminishes all the work and practice and skill and so forth that the, that the players go through. Um, Let's look at that, you know, in our own lives and in sort of the parallel it might draw to Christianity. Eidelman in this book says, uh, Jesus was never interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer isn't really an option. He goes on uh, and he's concerned that, quote, each week all the fans sort of come to the stadium where he cheer for Jesus but do we really have an interest in truly following him? The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't interested in truly following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires much of them. Um, yeah, boy, that really strikes me. It's like, boy, am I, I want to be a player. I don't want to be a fan. I don't want to sit in the stands. If I'm going to be true to, to the calling... Uh, of God on my life. So what does that mean? What does that mean for discipleship? Um, 
because Jesus is calling us to, to be disciples. Um, you know, lots of times we're maybe comfortable citing as ourselves as followers of Jesus, but do we really follow through on, on that call? Let's look, look back briefly to what that meant in his, his day and time. People were sort of not really surprised at what that meant. It meant, you know, sort of casting aside what you were doing and, and walking behind, a, a group of people walking behind, you know, the rabbi that they were following as their teacher and as their leader 24-7, you know, walking with them, learning from them, and, and with a goal of then learning enough so that they'd be able to, to do their own thing, to, to, but very much aligned to what the rabbi, in this case, the disciples who followed Jesus, uh, you know, had, had taught them. So um, I, I think if we want to be that kind of disciple... It's just really simple to go back and look at what he commands us to do. Um, and in particular, if we look at that, I think two commands really stand out. Uh, the first one, you know, think about the time that he was confronted by this teacher of the law who said, you know, what is, what's the greatest, what is the greatest command? And Jesus replied, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If we really unpack that, that's a really, really tough, tough thing. Um, and if we look at the other end of the story, at the end of Jesus' uh, time, the, co- the command is uh, this verse we want to look at here, if you'll bring it up, Sam. So here we are, you know, this, the, the famous uh, command in, in, at the end of Matthew. So this is, again, after Jesus has been crucified, after he's been resurrected, he's appeared in numerous places to the disciples and, and others, other believers, and, and his, his last Missive is, and Jesus came to and came and said to them, "All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age." You know, this is a really familiar passage, and, and it's easy to just sort of blow through it, but. Uh, let's just pause long enough to look at a couple of elements in it um, to sort of view it freshly. First of all, there's no mistaking who Jesus says he is. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's in charge. You know, we're to, like, follow him because he really is in charge. Um, you know, there's no doubt left in our minds. There should be none. Um, secondly, he... He says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, you know, just go far away. He doesn't send them just to places that have been unreached. He doesn't send them just to the hithermost ends of the world. He does send them there. But, he's, you know, the impl- implication here is go everywhere. Go everywhere. And, and so think about that. Let's think about that, you know, in, in, our, in our own lives. Um, the, the, the second point is he talks about making disciples. He doesn't talk about followers or fans that are just sort of in the game. On the periphery, he talks about disciples. So, so I've been personally sort of focused on this idea of, of discipleship and how do you do that, what does that mean. Uh, uh, you know, I'm working on this a little bit with staff and how we think about that here, here at College Hill. And uh, I've just had some of my thoughts really coalesced recently on this. Chris and I and some other folks, Jeannie and, and uh, Genta from 
here, recently attended um, this large conference on church multiplication and discipleship and so forth. It's called Exponential. And it was pretty awesome. There were like 5,000 pastors and lay people from all over the, all over the world, really, hearing uh, really different tracks and talks and so forth. It was really pr- pretty inspiring. But, you know, you can take all that and, and just one very simple, clear idea as a discipleship definition came through to me. And, and that's this notion, and, and I'll say this slowly because it's, uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister. Disciples are people who disciple others to make disciples. Let me say it again. Disciples are simply people who disciple others to make disciples. Now that's really struck me. That really catches the core and it captures this multiplication idea, the multi-generational thing. Obviously there's lots of stuff in here about learning to love Jesus and follow him, but that is ultimately what what it is. It's disciples being people who disciple others to make disciples. And, and that's the work, work of the church. Um, there's another passage of scripture that really shows this really clearly. In Second in Timothy um, 2, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, You then, my child, so Paul, you know, this, this leader, is talking to this younger guy that he's been discipling, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me through many witnesses, and trust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. There's four generations of believers in this. There's Paul. He's talking to Timothy. He wants Timothy to go out and be making disciples where he's leading. And those people have to be making disciples. He's counseling Timothy to make disciples who will make disciples. So this idea of multiplication just is running through, through all, these, all these passages and all these places throughout the New Testament. So... If we want to take this call to be disciples, um, I want to look at it, and I think we all want to look at it from the standpoint of, so what does that mean? What do we do? And and for me, there are are three ideas that I I want to just sort of touch on a little bit. Um, If we want to take Jesus' command seriously around this, for me, there are three calls to action. The the first one is, take Jesus' command to love others seriously. Um, for me, that just starts with engaging folks. I, you know, I am so, like, can be so task-oriented that I can go through my day, go through time and whatever, and just miss the fact that I'm dealing with other people. Um, but by engaging with them and so forth, that gives me the opportunity to, you know, maybe have deeper conversations or whatever. This was really poignantly struck for me recently. We were uh, with a bunch of friends and on sort of a work project thing, um, and we were cleaning up a yard at a, at a house as part of, part of a project. Um, and uh, the owner of the house came out. We were busy working around the yard and stuff. And the guy was a little confused. It's like, what are these people in my yard here doing, you know? Um, and and it, 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 fortunately, I was running a weed whacker. So I could sort of pretend like I didn't hear what, it, <laughs> what was going on. And fortunately, one of my friends sort of stepped in and said, hey, is everything okay? You know, we're here doing this stuff. And the whole conversation was a little awkward and weird and stuff. And it worked out fine and so forth. You know, but I realized, what a missed opportunity. I just sort of wasn't prepared. I hadn't thought ahead of time about, gee, let's see how we might engage somebody and just talk to them about what we're doing from the standpoint of, uh, of uh, being Jesus' hands and feet and, and showing love, love for people. 
Um, the, the, the second point is um, being prepared to tell others you know, our story, being prepared to tell others about just what Jesus has done for us and, and the workings of the kingdom in, the, in our lives. Um, you know, I think it's just amazing when we have opportunities and really look for these chances to share the kingdom in our lives. Uh, Chris and I have been involved in, in Whiz Kids, this tutoring thing for a number of years, and, and several years ago we had a chance to like, take the time before the tutor showed up to, uh, to try to make it useful. And, and so we decided, uh, you know, along with this team we were working with, to, uh, to find ways to teach Christian character traits to the kids. So this is in the public school setting. We're just, you know, teaching away, showing them about, uh, you know, Bible stories that really illustrated the kind of character traits that Jesus um, displayed. And, you know, it's like we had a lot of freedom to do that, even though, you know, we just sort of didn't have to ask permission. It was a faith-based program, and we stepped into that. And I think it really was having an impact on the kids, but it also was in, influencing the teenagers who were brought alongside to sort of be aides and stuff. So we had this chance to tell these really, uh, you know, great stories of the faith to to these kids in a, in a setting that otherwise, you know, was sort of devoid of, of, of Jesus' influence. Um, so this is probably a, a good time to, to touch on, on another verse that is sort of the verse that Drew has us as a memory verse for, the, for this series. If you'll bring that up. So, so uh, let's all sort of read this together because uh, this is the verse that Drew has us to sort of memorize for this, for this time. Let's, let's all read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, this is a great reminder that in all this stuff, we're simply reliant on the Holy Spirit to, to give us the words, to point us to the people that he wants us to uh, engage with, and, and it's his responsibility to work in the, in the hearts of others. We're just sort of planting seeds and watering them and, um, and being led by him, uh, him hopefully. But this is an area that I've got to tell you I really struggle with. I, you know, I see missed opportunities, uh, you know, all the time, um, but... You know, I just want to really be more praying that, that the Lord will show me those times and, and quicken my, my heart to be willing to share about just my story of how Jesus has influenced me and has, um, has, has you know, reconciled me to God. Um, so the third point, we talked about engaging and loving people. We talked about this, uh, you know, this last point of uh, being prepared to tell, tell our story. And the last one is just equipping others to equip others, equipping others to be disciples so that they'll make disciples. You know, we aren't simply called to be agents in God's plan to get people in the kingdom. We're called to be important agents in the lives of believers to help them grow and to help them be equipped so that they're going to pull others others in and tell them about Jesus. Um, you know, there's a couple of aspects to this. One is just in our biological family. You know, there's great opportunities to do this. You know, we're, as, a, as a parent, um, you know, this is a really important thing that uh, we've looked at and, and struggled with. And how do we really, uh, you know, teach our kids? And boy, what a responsibility. And, and have seen other people that we've been around teach us tremendously how to do that. And, and we're entering a new stage in that, uh, you know, in the upcoming weeks our daughter is going to have our first grandbaby, hopefully. She's due on June 25th. Baby Tessa will be born, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
being a grandparent and they live in another city, you know, I, I need to look around and find others who will disciple me on how to be a good grandparent, particularly, you know, from a distance. And so, you know, you know, I think all of us, how do we look for areas that we want to grow and so that we'll be able to, to pass that on? Uh, both in our, you know, biological families, but also with those with uh, those around us. You know, what are the opportunities we have to pour into the lives of another person so that we're helping them grow and get to that place where they're even, you know, making more disciples. I, in, in my own life, I've had uh, just a real blessing of engaging with a, a young fellow who's a college student. He's a young life leader. And, uh, and so Sean and I meet together real regularly. We've been doing this for about 18 months now. And it's been really neat to share the struggles that he's going through, to open scripture regularly and go through that with him. Uh, he didn't grow up in a place where that was really a regular part of, of his life. But he's a great leader for bringing high school kids into the faith. And he's doing tremendous stuff with that. In fact, right now he's off at Young Life Camp. And so I'm excited to see what happens when he comes back this this weekend uh, and tells me about you know what what all happened with the guys he's uh, he's discipling, and that spurred me on to look at you know ways I can uh, engage more with young life and, and see the work great stuff that they're doing go further, and, and also just in our own lives see how you know I can be engaged with folks in our community in new ways that that we might you know just have the kingdom have influence there. So um, just as we get ready to close here. Um, For more material on this, I would recommend a book that I think is just really interesting and good. Uh, Francis Chan has written a book fairly recently called Multiply. If you go to this website called uh, multiplymovement.org, you can download the e-book for free. You can also buy a hard copy of it on places like Amazon and stuff. But it's sort of a field guide that is a real encouragement for us to take seriously this notion of making disciples uh, and making disciples who will make disciples, and to just lead people through uh, Scripture, lead them through really the essentials of the faith, so that in a very simple way you can go through and touch on all the sort of major points of, of uh, growing in the Christian walk. Um, as we wrap up here, let's just um, take a moment and, and quietly see how God might um, speak to us and, and guide us, um, rather than just pray for an opportunity to share with someone, let me suggest that um, we just have a moment of just quiet and, and uh, each of us just think about where God might be pointing us in a direction to a place or maybe a person where he'd have us have, have influence, have the opportunity to, to talk about the kingdom and to see about helping someone grow in their faith or hear about um, what Jesus has done for us. You know, it might be somebody that you see walking around your neighborhood, um, or it might be a coworker, or it might be, uh, you know, that you want to be a volunteer at, uh, and tutor at WizKids at, with us at Pleasant Hill, or it might be welcoming families as they, as they come to, to FX, or it might be just having a regular conversation with a kid that bags groceries for you uh, at Kroger's. Um, so let's just take a quiet, I guess that's my alarm saying I'm running out of time. Uh, how can I turn this off Um, isn't that the devil just trying to disrupt us as we come before God so
So let's, let's just take a, take a quiet moment here and, and, and just uh, lift that up. God's people said together, Amen.